uh, is the subject of uh, church membership and a couple of things related to it. I was thinking about this really because in the last several years, we've had a number of people be baptized and become members of the church. And, uh, and we connect those two things together, baptism and church membership. I want to talk about that just a little bit tonight. But also, uh, we haven't, uh, I don't think, in uh, quite a while talked about church membership and what it means and what its significance of it is. Uh, and so I thought it would be good for us uh, in the context of we have new members uh, and certainly hope to keep having new members uh, to talk about this subject. And it's an important subject in part for this reason. Church membership, frankly, is not considered very important by many, many people in our day. It's sort of fallen by the wayside in the thinking of, of uh, many uh, groups that would call themselves Christian. Uh, there, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one reason is that we have uh, such a consumer mentality, and we see this phenomenon in Christian churches in our day where people just very quickly move from one place to another and they try this and they try that, and if they, you know, uh, get uh, unhappy for any reason or disappointed for any reason, they just move on to the next place. And, and so there's this real consumer mentality that goes on, and, and associated with that is also, in our day, it, it is just a fact that there is, uh, people just have a lack of commitment to things. We see people not having a commitment to marriage. We see people not having a commitment to, uh, to all kinds of institutions. And one thing in particular that we see that has been a real uh, problem for Christ church is a lack of commitment to the church, not really appreciating uh, the church itself and being committed to it and to the support of it and to engaging with uh, the Christian church. So what I want to do tonight is talk about church membership and also the issue of baptism and church membership just a little bit. And I would like to do that to try to convince you of the importance of, uh, of church membership and why we ought to care about it and some things, some implications for us and things we ought to be concerned about as church members and why it matters uh, to us. And so one of the things that... Uh, one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that it has been the pattern of things going way back into ancient times that records have been kept designating and identifying who the people of God are. If we turn to the Old Testament, I'm not going to read any of these passages, I'm just going to mention them to you. If we turn to the Old, past, Old Testament, we would see that the specific lineage of God's people has been identified uh, over and over again in the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 5, we have the descendants of Adam to Noah. In Genesis chapter 10, we have Noah's genealogy that's given. In chapter 11 of Genesis, we have Shem's genealogy leading to Abraham. Following the, that, we have Abraham's family is carefully recorded. The scriptures are telling us, here are God's people in they're identified, and here are people who are not uh, God's people. God's people are numbered. Why, why do you think the book of Numbers is called the book of Numbers? 
It's because the people are numbered, because there's a census taken, because God's people are being identified there in the book of Numbers. And so in the early church, I would suggest to you that from the very beginning of the Christian church, the New Testament church, that there was an official recognizable church membership, that it consisted of people who could be definitely identified and counted. If you would turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 1, I'm going to show you a few things in the scriptures here. Acts chapter 1. Let's note a few things quickly in this chapter and following chapters. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And so there is this identified people. There's 120 people that are recognized as being the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look over at chapter 2 and verse 41. Now, this is on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches a sermon that we've recently talked about quite a bit. And uh, at the end of this chapter, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so what we see here in uh, Acts 2.41 is we see 3,000 people being baptized and added to the to the recognized number of Christ's followers. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it's very interesting language there. God is adding to their number, to the recognized group of people. This identifiable group uh, could be added to, it could be joined. Over in chapter 4, verse 4, Chapter 4, verse 4. We read, And many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so the number of men that were in the church now have, has come up to the, the number of 5,000 in these very, very early days of the church. Now we get a little bit closer to the point of hand in Acts chapter 5, verses 11 and following. It says in verse 11, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. And so what we have in Acts 5, 11 through 14 is we have two things that we see that are going on. We see people that did not dare join them. Now the word join there is a very strong word. It means to have a binding attachment. Uh, it could also be used in a non-religious way to mean something like cement or glue. And so he's saying here that as the people watched and saw what was happening in the church and saw the miracles and saw the signs and wonders, they were not just casually joining themselves, cementing themselves, gluing themselves to Christ's church. They were very cautious about that, and many dared not to join it. It was a serious matter 
to be joined to Christ's church. But it also says in these verses that more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, we see something very interesting over in chapter 9. Here, the subject is Saul. Now, you know Saul has been an enemy of the church. Saul has been miraculously converted. He will, uh, in short time, be called Paul and no longer Saul. So it's the Paul that we know in our scriptures. But in verse 26, in chapter 9, verse 26, we see this. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So what we see here is we see this early church doing something that we try to do. And that is we, we try to not have people that we're not convinced are believers to become members in our assembly, in our church. We, we try to discern when we bring people into the, into the church uh, whether they are really believers or not. We make some effort to do that. As some of you that have been baptized and become members in recent years know uh, that uh, there was an interview process. You were asked questions, uh, not trying to give you the, uh, the, the, the 10th degree and not trying to, uh, to, you know, to cause trouble or be hard on you in any way, but just to, just to discern whether or not you understand the gospel, that you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you know what you're getting into when you uh, go through uh, the steps of being baptized and becoming a member of Christ's church. And we see that going on here in Acts 9.26 with Saul. They weren't convinced yet about this man, Saul, who just weeks before was persecuting the church and was actually going uh, to another city specifically to attack Christian people when he was miraculously Converted, So they're not sure about him, and they don't allow him to join. And so I would suggest to you that the picture we have in all these things is that there was a recognizable number of people that who were accepted into the church, the church was a matter uh, of the church's discretion and, and, and uh, judgment, and that we see from the earliest days of the church this kind of activity going on. Now we see some other interesting things here in Acts. Look at chapter 6. Because an entirely different issue is going to come up in Acts chapter 6. And let's begin looking at verse 2 and read from verse 2 to 5. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up uh, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. That we, that, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said was pleasing to the whole gathering. Now I want to draw your attention to a few things here. And it's, it's this, this kind of language that we see here. It says that the apostles instructed the believers in Jerusalem to select from among you seven men to serve the people. Now from among you indicates that there was a clearly recognized group of people who were in the church. In other words, who were they picking from? How did they know who they could consider for this ministry that is going to ultimately be pretty much the equivalent of what our 
present-day deacons are in our church. How are they going to make those kind of discernments? And who can they consider? Who might serve in these offices? Who is eligible to be selected? And who is it that is, uh, who is there in this gathering of people that ought to uh, have their opinion considered? That ought to be able to say, I think brother so-and-so ought to be in this number of people that are being recognized to be deacons in the church. And so all of these questions, if you think through it, indicate to us that there was uh, an identifiable group of people that were involved in this activity. We see the words in verse 2, the full number of the disciples. I would suggest to you that's referring to a definite number, a clearly recognized group that were brought together to have this discussion and to take this action as a church, as a group together. Over in Acts chapter 15, we have a similar thing in verse 22. And it says, It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so we have here uh, a statement here that the whole church comes together and from among them, they are going to select leading men for this activity. This is actually a missionary activity. And so who's involved in this and who can they select from and who are the ones who have the right to make the choices in this matter? It is, I would suggest to you, the whole church, an identifiable group of people. Then look uh, at Acts 14. 27, we have a different circumstance, but it indicates the same kind of thing. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so what we see here is we see that Paul and Barnabas, they go on a mission, they come back, and when they come back to the church, the whole church is called together so that a report can be made about what happened on their, during their missionary uh, endeavors. And in this particular case, the subject is that, uh, that uh, an open door of faith was uh, made available to the Gentiles, and Gentiles were being saved. And so they're reporting that into the church. But when they called the church together to make this report, who were they calling together? I would suggest to you, that is a very recognizable uh, group of people, a known quantity. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and verse 23, it's talking about worship services, and it says in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say, you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, it is, he is convicted of all. Uh, he is called to account by all. And so here there's, this, there's this, uh, this, uh, this language about the whole church coming together uh, for the purpose of worship. Over in Matthew chapter 18, these are all different kinds of things in which a recognizable assembly is acknowledged. Matthew chapter 15. 
Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two other along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, for our purposes tonight, we're not going to talk about church discipline uh, in this passage other than in this context. Who is it that you're supposed to go to? Are you just supposed to go to some Christian people somewhere? If you have this situation going on, this sin against a brother, this person who won't repent, and now you're to bring him to the church, uh, I think it's very clear that the church is an identifiable group of people uh, that you can be brought before, uh, and it's not some random thing, it's not undefined, it's not uncertain who they are, but we would know what to do uh, if we were in these type of situations. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we have some very interesting language in, in these verses. We have some very interesting language in 1 Corinthians 5 verses 12 and 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And so here again, the context is church discipline, but the language is very specific here. It is, uh, it is language about insiders. It is language about outsiders. And then the last part of verse 13 says, purge the evil person from among you. Well, who are the you that you would be putting this evil person away from and outside of? And so who is subject to the discipline of the church? Who is subject to pastoral ministry and authority? Uh, who can the pastors legitimately approach? It is those who are inside, and it's not those who are outside of Christ's church. And so I would suggest to you that uh, in real life, uh, that is a group of people that we would uh, be able to identify and know uh, exactly who they are, and that that function is served by our church membership. In 1 Timothy, it's interesting that there's very specifically in chapter 5, there is a role that was kept a role of those who were the true widows. In uh, 1 Timothy 5, uh, in 1 Timothy 5, 3, it says, honor widows who are truly widows. A few other, language, other translations say things like, who are widows indeed, you may remember uh, that language. And then in verse 9, it says, let the widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of 
of one husband. And so there was actually a, a role of the people who were members of the church, but who also very specifically met the qualification of being a widow indeed. The New American Standard translates in this verse uh, the, the term enrolled as put on the list. And so widows indeed are recognized members of the congregation whose needs are known and whose names are put on a special care list. Now in Hebrews 13, 17, Hebrews 13, 17, uh, we have this statement about the church. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have for the, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would uh, that would be of no advantage to you. And so there's two things here uh, in this verse uh, that two questions that are raised. If you're a Christian person and you're you're commanded uh, by the scriptures to obey your leaders and submit to them. Which Christian leaders are you going to obey to? Obey. Who, who are you subject to? Who should you be following in, in, in matters of church life? And I think the answer is it is the church of which you are a member. It's not other congregations, pastors, that you are called to obey and to submit to. It is those that are in your church and in your congregational people. But even more to the point, it says that the pastors are those who will have to give an account for the people that are under their charge. And so who is it that pastors uh, are entrusted to have entrusted to their care and, and will have to actually give an account to their care of their flock? Who is in the flock that they're responsible for? Who is outside of that flock? I would suggest to you that we have those boundaries set and those things identified by church membership. Now let's turn back to Acts chapter 2 and let's move from that subject. I hope that would convince you that church membership is a thing that we just see scattered uh, throughout the, the New Testament record. It's something that is, is kind of inescapable as we add up all of these different aspects of church life that really are dependent on uh, the reality of a, an identified uh, church membership. Now, back in uh, Acts chapter 2, and verse 41 through 47, I want to ask the question, what are the bare essentials of church membership? It says in verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds uh, to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And so the question is, who were those people that were being added to Christ's church? And I would suggest to you that what we see is, we see people who are being converted, who are, who are coming to faith and repentance 
uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So people who are being saved are being brought into the church membership. I would suggest to you that it is people who are participating in believers' baptism, that it is those people who desire to participate in these very basic functions of the church body, things like the uh, uh, agreement about fundamental doctrines and willing to be taught about those things, care for other members of the church family. We certainly read about fellowship and, and care here in these verses. Faithfully remembering the Lord's Supper, praying for one another. Those are the kind of things that we see just in this very small uh, portion of Scripture that I would suggest to you are, are connected to the people who are being added to Christ's church. And so who would we be bringing into our number as members? Well, it is people that God is saving. It is people who are participating in, uh, in, in Christian baptism and people who have a desire to be involved in these basic functions of a Christian church. Now, let me, let me raise the question that there's much debate on in our day, and that is whether or not baptism should be into church membership. The question there really is this. Is it right? Is it possible? Should it ever be that a person becomes a Christian and they're baptized but they're not connected to any church? Now let me just tell you that happens everywhere and all the time. People who claim to be Christians, claim to be converted, and they are baptized, but they never identify with the church. I would suggest to you that baptism in the New Testament should be to church membership. Let me uh, share with you just a few scriptures. Romans chapter 12. And I meant to ask it as we were finishing up just a moment ago, if anybody had any questions about church membership and the validity of it and why we do it and why we should do it. Is there any questions about that? Well, let me make a few comments about that. First of all, we don't require people to have classes. I know some churches do have uh, sometimes an, even an extensive series of required uh, classes that you must like, kind of like Sunday school class for six months uh, where you're exposed to Christian teaching and, and, and maybe even the constitution of the church and how we do things here. And there are groups that definitely do that. I would suggest to you that what we try to do here 
And we're going to talk about this in our Sunday school class. Just for those of you in our Sunday school class, uh, probably next Sunday. So I, I, won't, I won't say a lot about this today. But what we try to do is we try to actually do what we think was going on in Acts, and it is this. Whenever we believe that a person has a credible profession of faith, we think they should very quickly be baptized and brought into the church. That we shouldn't wait and drag it out or have all kinds of requirements because it is very clear from the record in Acts that people were very quickly uh, made a credible profession. And then they were baptized. And then they were added to the number of the church. It is obvious that that happens very quickly. And there's not some long, drawn-out process. And so it is not our intention to do that. Our intention is, is, is as quickly as we can determine that there's a credible uh, uh, profession of faith, that we immediately move on with, uh, with baptism and church membership. And so there's all kinds of questions about what is a credible Profession, and we're not going to get into that this evening, but my answer to you would be that we actually should follow the pattern that's in Acts, and when we really have reason to think someone is converted, that we should baptize them and bring them into uh, the membership of the church. And we ought to do that, and it shouldn't be a, it should be a quick, a quick matter that we do that promptly, and that, that would be to follow the biblical pattern. Does that kind of answer your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we we probably don't. We we're probably not concerned about baptizing somebody today versus next Sunday, if that's if that's what you mean. But uh, but that that would be I think our position on on that question. Any other question about about that at all? Okay, I tell you what, we are. Nearly out of time. I'm obviously not going to get through uh, part of the things I was going to talk about. So let me kind of cut to the chase on just a point or two. Romans chapter 12, and then we'll, and we'll just stop here, and maybe we'll pick it up another, another time with some other issues. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, I would suggest to you that this is a powerful, uh, a powerful statement that when we are converted and saved and baptized, recognized to be a Christian, that we should, we should expect that these things in verses 4 and 5 would be true, that we are one member of a larger body and that individually each one of us are members of one another and that there's no such thing as this individual Christian is over here all by himself and he's not connected with the other ones, the, the each other uh, of, our, of our verse here. Uh, let, let me give you an example. What would you think if I told you I want to show you my church? And then we got in the car and we drove to a lot and, and, and there was an empty lot 
And we got out of the car and we walked out into the middle of the lot. And right in the middle of the lot, there was a brick. One brick. And I were to say to you, that's my church. What would you think about that church? <laughs> I would suggest to you that that's what, that's what we're saying when we act like, think that we can be a lone ranger Christian all by ourselves. We don't need to be connected to a church body. Uh, we, we, we are not, I would say, automatically connected to other local Christians when we uh, become Christians. Look at our 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, you would probably think I was pretty silly uh, if I were to do that. I would suggest to you that, spiritually speaking, that, that is exactly what people do when they say, well, I'm a Christian. But, you know, I, I do my own thing. Uh, I'm on my own. I don't need Christ's church and, and God's people. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now let's go down to verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Let's go down to verse 27, and I'm just selecting verses. We really could read this whole passage, which talks about this. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually, that is each one of you individually, are members of it. And so Paul here, and he says a lot of other things that are applicable to this subject in this chapter, but Paul here is saying that there's one body. He's going to, go, he's going to also say in this chapter that your gifts are not for you. They are for the other people that are in your church, in the body that you're connected to. That the Holy Spirit actually gives to each person a distinctive uh, blessing and gift and talent so that when you come together, you collectively meet the needs of each other and that the Holy Spirit sovereignly does that. It's not something that the people do. That God does that as he brings people together uh, in the Christian church. And so I would suggest to you that these statements are telling us that it's just not, uh, it's not spiritual reality to think that we are uh, that we are can be Christians all by ourselves and apart from union with Christ and His people, uh, His body, uh, the local church. And so I'm just going to stop there, and uh, maybe we can pick this up later because there are, I think, some very compelling other reasons for why uh, membership in Christ Church is very important, and also there are responsibilities uh, that members have uh, as members of Christ's church that I think should be brought to our attention as well. So I'm just going to stop here because we're out of time, and uh, we'll uh, maybe pick this up uh, again soon on a Sunday evening and, and maybe finish this subject because I do think it's some very important uh, things for us to know and think about. Let's close with a word of prayer.